Welcome to the midweek Mission Ridge podcast known as Footnotes. Footnotes is here to give you some of the stuff that we didn't have time to cover in the sermon and encourage you to dig in deeper as you study the text. So let's dive in and check out what's in the footnotes. Welcome to another episode of Footnotes. We've got a lively crew in here today. we got Molly Patterson. Hi. we got Rob Croyle. Hello. And we have Jacob Croyle, son of Rob. Hello. <laughs> I'm just going to, that's my forever how I'm going to introduce you. Son of Rob. Son of Rob. Son of Rob. Eldest, eldest Bahore of Rob. I don't know. Yep. Uh, and then obviously your favorite host, Logan. Logan hey. Bailey. All right. There we go. Um, I don't know. I, technically, you're listed as a host also, Rob. Uh, so maybe I am not their favorite host. They might like you more. It's possible. It's so possible. I, I can't. I can't use that phrase anymore. Maybe. Im- improbable, but possible. Possible. <laughs> you know, through all Christ, things are possible. Oh, this <laughs> through, is through, all things are possible through Christ. I don't know. I'm <laughs> dyslexicking everything about that verse. It's fine. I'm glad he's strengthening you. Know you exactly, though that's the good news and all this. You know exactly yeah. what I mean. But anyway. Let's uh, dig right in, completely skipping any sort of shortcomings that might have happened this week, just because there weren't any. Ha! Um, actually, I, I, other than me smacking the mic and coughing into it at one point, but I artfully edited those out of the recording. Um, snippy, snippy, snippy. Snippy, snip. And they were relatively easy, because I didn't talk over the talk of, top of them, so that was nice. Mm. Yay, Logan. It's Yay, probably interesting Logan. to see what my facial reactions were when that happened. <laughs> Dude, the cough was great. You're like, ah! <laughs> uh, yes. So we're going to dive right into our discipleship moment of the week. Please don't sue me, Mario. I know. Yeah, that's, that is the great, greatest bump song. Bump tune ever. Uh, if only we had someone that could make a bump song. Mm. <laughs> if only we, mm. it wouldn't be as much fun if then, only. Jacob. Let's be honest. <laughs> I, it's kind of a thing at this point. Uh, so, Rob, tell us about this. What, what what are you thinking this week as far as discipleship? So we were talking a, a lot about complaining and grumbling uh, in the scripture this week, and how do you, as a disciple maker, walk someone through when you find them? Doing that, and it's a you know, first of all, complaining and grumbling is, is a kind of a passive aggressive approach to to a problem. Uh, we've all done it, and uh, it's maybe one of our love languages. <laughs> but um, but Paul says that uh, the way we handle conflict actually matters, and so this is something that takes discipleship. And I've had uh, people disciple me through this. Um, over the years, and and probably continue to help me to do that. Um, so, as a disciple maker, I would think about probably at least these four things: um, how do you pray through the present circumstances? What does that look like? What does it look like to seek wise counsel? What does conflict resolution look like? And uh, and Jesus talks about blessing those who curse you. And, and those kinds of things. So um, you might take someone through Matthew 18, which talks about uh, conflict resolution. If your brother sins, go and show him his fault in private. If he listens to you, you have won your brother. If he d- does not listen to you, take one or two more with you, so that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every fact may be confirmed. So if I had someone that I was discipling that was being passive-aggressive, complaining and grumbling through a situation, I may take them to this set of verses and show them what it looks like to resolve that conflict that they have with the person. Um, I might take them to Luke 6.28 that says, Bless those who curse you, pray for those who mistreat you. Mm. So what does it look like to kind of bring that relationship to the throne room of God, to uh, be praying for them? And then to be a person that seeks to uh, bless instead of cursing in response. And then there's some Proverbs that talks about um, having counselors um, without consultation plans are frustrated, but with many counselors, they succeed. And so um, what does it look like to invite wise people into the conversation of, of what you're facing so that, again, um, 
there could be a positive resolution to the situation. So these are just some things I'd be thinking through, uh, depending on who I'm talking talking with and what the situation is. Is there something that they can do to resolve it, or um, maybe there there is no positive steps that they can make directly? Um, and so you, know, you got you just kind of have to decipher through relationship what what is involved here. And how do you walk someone through that? What's the best way to move forward? What are some things you guys been discipled? How has someone maybe helped disciple you through conflict resolution? Um, I actually had an interesting interaction when I was in high school. I was um, gossiping about one of my friends. Mm. And that friend who I thought was my, like, we were really close, went and told another friend. And then this friend actually confronted me. Not, um, I don't think it was in a, like, you shouldn't do this. But it was, like, um, she was happy to confront me about it and, like, show me that I was wrong. So after that, I was just like, okay, I can't gossip with people because it's going to get back. And that's going to end up being my legacy I guess I don't know Mm. so from then I started being very intentional and careful about who I talked to and it was usually someone that could help me resolve a problem right so right yeah so we need we need space to talk about Mm -hmm. these things like we're not saying don't talk about your emotions or don't be real last week we talked about honest worship uh this is this is kind of another application of that kind of a concept that God doesn't expect us to ignore the problems that we face, but there is, you know, I think in terms of not not trying to be too uh, hyper spiritual here, but there's there's a positive way to approach a problem and negative way, and and complaining, grumbling is is kind of a passive aggressive, negative negative energy, negative emotion. Sure kind of approach and and God has a very positive way to work through those things and in a way where you can have peace in the midst of it even if the other person never changes mm-hmm. I think about Jesus on the cross saying Father forgive them they don't know what they're doing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, they're, they're murdering him I mean this uh, seems like they know what they're doing <laughs> but um, but Jesus had peace in the midst of that like I think I might have been complaining and grumbling by that mm-hmm. moment you know? <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Yeah, a little passive-aggressive. Might have been griping. Yeah. This last year, I had a very, like, uh, I got some very hands-on training on it. <laughs> nice. Uh, Discipleship. On, That's on, what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, I wasn't training. Uh, hands-on experience? Hands-on experience with conflict in the workplace. Um and I learned uh, uh, specifically the value of not just, like, if you're having a problem with someone, like, don't end it after just talking to them about it, right? Because, like, um, what Jesus says, um, and he, he basically says bring it to, like, the people in charge eventually, kind of. Right, right. right. Um, because I think a lot of people would just stop it at, and, and this was what happened to me, where... Uh, where I had a coworker, um, well, and calling him a coworker is weird. He was my lead, kind of, um, and the work relationship there was confusing. The chain of command was a little weird, but, and he was very uh, verbally abusive, and uh, there were there was lots of problems mm-hmm. going on in in the workplace there, um, and and like I tried confronting him about it a couple of times. I tried working with him as best I could. Um, you know, despite all these problems and I ended up kind of learning the importance of actually reporting stuff to, um, the people in charge. Um, and like with my specific change, chain of command, it wasn't just, uh, first I went to my manager and I learned sometimes going to your manager isn't enough. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Um, and even my, and my manager was even on my side. Like, uh, it wasn't a weird thing where like the manager was on the lead side, but it was just, he didn't want to do much about it. Um, 
And it ended up being an, a long situation of eventually got to the point where my department wanted to get rid of him. Um, and sometimes situations like that, it's hard to fire someone. Mm. Um, so there was about six months of this guy was in this nebulous <laughs> zone of like everyone wanted him gone. And for his sake and for everyone's sake, he, he yeah, should have been gone. But because of the way things were and because of, like, politics and stuff like that um, within the workplace, he wasn't gone for a long time. And um, and it was interesting, too, because, like, I still had to work with him. Um, so, so some situations are not just resolvable super quick, even though we we prayed about it. We invite God into the conversation. We invite other people into the conversation. Sure. We ask mm-hmm. for wisdom. We, we bring the right people, you know, the information that they need to be able to move forward. It, it's not always resolvable in a short period of time, which mm-hmm. I think we'd all prefer. Oh yeah. No, yeah. that's always the better. Like, I'm, let's just solve this quickly. Yeah. I mean, to sit in the mess is not fun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I remember Jake and our conversations about that mm-hmm. and I couldn't help you solve what your work was handling. I couldn't help you solve that part, but sure. what, what I could help you do was understand your part in this. And, you know, I was excited to just kind of see you kind of maintain an even keel attitude yeah. through it all. And I felt like that was, for me, that was a discipleship moment. Uh, because as your dad, I'm going, all right, son, these are the steps that I've taken in the past when I've dealt with that kind of situation. And I saw you live that out mm-hmm. really, really well, way sooner than I did. So, <laughs> <laughs> and like, put your phone system. It was on the theater mode. <laughs> so sorry, everyone. We might be able to edit it out. <laughs> No, we got to leave that one in. Probably. Well, <laughs> like, now we yeah, because it's in. me, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so working through this nebulous period where you're figuring out, like, what what do I do and how do I continue to interact with my coworkers while this guy's like, should he stay or should he go? Yeah. <laughs> and in some ways, it was, it was easier because of how um, I could just confront the fact of, like, you know, he's very obviously in the wrong. Everyone's in agreement on that, right? And um, but I still have to work with him. So I'm going to treat those situations, you know, as respectfully and as, like, good as I can. So it was e- in some ways it was easy to not complain and grumble about it. Because it's mm-hmm. like, okay, it is just going to be a burden, right? It's very obvious. Like, there's so many other things where it's like, this is a person I'm close with or this person I have to spend a lot of time with and they're not going to leave anytime soon. Or mm, There's no end date. Like... Like, siblings can be harder because it's like, you can't get rid of a sibling. Well, you can try. <laughs> no, you cannot, son. Uh, Kane did it pretty well. <laughs> yeah, Ooh. don't do that. Zing. <laughs> don't do, do that. that. <laughs> don't be Kane. Let's not encourage people to do that. That is an example of bad conflict management. <laughs> but there's there's a lot of stuff of, like, you know, um, the political situation or, you know, or whatever, where it's like, it's not something you're going to get rid of anytime soon so it, sometimes it feels okay to complain and grumble about it because there's what can you do about it yeah and in this case i was doing what i could do with the situation and i just had to hope um that you know the people in charge did were doing what they could um and eventually you know he uh, he ended up resigning and uh and so you know it, it did get handled and there's so many other things where it's like that's not going to get handled like, sure. you know, uh, the early church, I'm sure they complained and grumbled about Rome oppressing them all the time. That took a long time to get handled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was several hundred years. Yeah. It took a minute. It took a minute. The Yeah, there's so many things where it's like, it's easy to complain and grumble about it because there's nothing else you can do about it. Yeah. And it's not going to be resolved anytime soon. Nice. Which is why this conversation is so relevant. Yeah. It really is. It really is. And that segues beautifully into our first topic of footnotes fodder, which would be discussing complaining and grumbling and how it's the language of the oppressed. Tell me about that, Rob. Well, so Israel comes out of Egypt and in the desert, 
they act like God is this oppressor. Over and over and over again, they're like, why can't we just go back to Egypt? It was so much nicer there. Mm-hmm. It was so much nicer there when they were killing our firstborn and beating us. At least us we weren't we... hungry. Right, Except right. they were. So um, they had learned in, in Egypt how to complain. When, when you are not in a position of power and you're being oppressed— Passive aggressiveness is, is kind of the approach that a person takes mm-hmm. when they're in that position. And so it is the language of the of the oppressed. But unfortunately, even when we're not being oppressed, we continue with that language. It becomes it becomes part of our vernacular. And so our conversation can be, you know, even when we are in a position of power, can still take on that language because it's a language that we've we've learned. And developed a habit. Yeah, it's a habit. So now we have to we have to unlearn that habit, and that's really what we see God doing with Israel in the wilderness, is mm-hmm. teaching them to trust, teaching them that to see life um, in a very different light, um, learning to rest, learning to love and trust. You know, which is which is really a, a healing process. So if you've been in an abusive situation, either um, either within your home or in a relationship or in your environment. Um, and I think in terms of people that are oppressed, you know, culturally, mm. um, either race, race, ethnicity, um, sexual preference, those kinds of things, sure. uh, religion, um, whatever the case, um, complaining, grumbling becomes that that language. And and Paul is saying that don't don't look at your oppressor. Look at your God. Mm-hmm. Remember yeah. remember how he responded over and over and over again, and and showed himself as a redeemer, as a restorer, as a provider to the children of Israel. And that's a process too. I mean, I think God is way more patient in that process with us than than we are. But it is a process. What? And when we see someone using that language, that passive aggressive language of complaining and grumbling, we have to recognize that they're gonna have to experience God as all those things too. Sure. Well, and that that reminds me of in the sermon, I kind of said that, you know, with the fear and trembling of if you're going to tremble, if you're going show, if you're showing more reverence for your oppressor, right, your, your enemy, your oppressor, whoever, right, you're, if you're more preoccupied grumbling and complaining about them, than you are worshiping God, then you're showing them more reverence. You're saying that I value their oppression over your provision, right, um, which is, which is where that worship from yeah. the week before becomes that that avenue for you know cultivating joy in your life as you learn to bow before God who who is trustworthy, who is faithful, who is a provider, who meets us where we're at, and we have to um, the people on this planet mm-hmm. as we bump into them they're gonna hurt us sure. at times, but we can have a whole heart where the external circumstances don't have the kind of impact that they used to. Very much so. Well, and that's because, and that's, that's a valuable point for how do I, okay, so if I'm not going to grumble and complain, right? Like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to do that. Well, what am I going to do instead? Because there's, there's a couple of options then like, and, and Molly, you were pointing this out was that the, uh, an easy go-to is to just ignore everything, right? Mm-hmm. And you have this, you said a sense of false unity. Yeah, you have a sense of false unity where you're just like, oh, we're good, we're good. And you're like, um, you're not seeking truth in that. Mm-hmm. So like we need to <clears throat> seek unity with people, but we also need to seek truth. And so trying to find that balance between the two, I mean, I think it'll be a lifelong thing for me, but um, trying to make sure we're, living in unity with people, but also not 
presenting false unity because when someone hurts you, like you need to address that, but you need to do it in such a way that actually brings true unity sure. instead of just pretend. sitting in the division and just mm-hmm. or furthering the division. I, I think <clears throat> yeah. um, you mentioned, you know, racial, racial tension. And obviously there's a lot of that going around mm-hmm. today. Sure. Um, and, and I, this popped into my head. So I'm going to process this out and we'll see if it lands somewhere good. <laughs> But in uh, what to do instead of just grumbling and complaining, right? Because if you look at back at the civil rights movement, a lot of that, a lot of that they worshipped through it, right? Or even yeah. before that, when they were slaves, when the blacks were slaves, you know, this is where we, we got an entire genre of music. Mm-hmm. Sure. Or multiple, you know, the blues and gospel and, you know, all those all those spirituals came out of that like this you're saying like it going back to authentic worship exactly like this is how this is how you combat the grumbling and oppression and, and there was nothing there was nothing false about that they're still acknowledging exactly where they're at but they're doing it in a manner that is not just grumbling and complaining about the situation but just you know focusing on the oppressor no they're focusing on god instead right right and i I would maybe say that some of our some of our oppressed peoples nowadays have maybe missed that and we could do with a shift back towards that um well so because it's not because they're not oppressed or it's like oh you're just like no like this is how you this is how you move forward is through the authentic worship. Yeah, in social media when we see people complain <clears throat> incessantly about whatever they see is is uh wrong with the world that to me doesn't have near the impact when I see someone actually worshiping through and yes, recognizing that there are things that need to take place. And, and I'm not talking about people... Like, we do need to have honest conversation. Sure, and that, and that doesn't... It's not ignoring it to worship. It's not worshiping, worshiping through ignoring, but, like, just seeking out... Seeking out the positive and still saying, like, nope, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chase what God has for me. Right. I'm going to chase what is right. I'm going to chase what is good. Instead of sitting and dwelling on what is what is not right currently, right. And so, you know, are you having the conversation? Uh, one, are you having the conversation to tear down or to build up? Yeah. Are you having the conversation to um, drag someone into the mud, or are you, are you having the conversation to start something redemptive? Mm-hmm. And and is worship part of your conversation or is worship left out like when you go to worship do you have to walk away from that conversation in order to enter into worship or is or they part or are they connected so um those are some things that i think we could think about in terms of our own uh social media interactions and and what we post how we engage in tough conversations sure i think a great quote for this I I heard long ago, I don't even remember where I got from, but am I part of the solution or am I part of the problem? Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I actually used that. I had an employer one time that came in and he was complaining. I was just like, after my, you know, junior high, high school experience, I was just like gossip. Just, I can't, it just makes me feel so weird. So I'm like, I don't want to be like defiant here, but are you telling me so I can help fix this problem? Or are you telling me just to complain? Cause I, I want to be part of a solution, not part right. of the problem. Right. So I like, I've always liked that quote. Well, yeah. And like complaining, grumbling can also help, um, not, not in a good, not a good way, help the, like the people that aren't oppressed feel like they are. Mm. Right. Like, like there were people in the civil rights movement or who opposed the civil rights movement. And sure. I'm sure they complained and grumbled a lot. <laughs> mm. Um, it can help us like dehumanize or, or or like ignore someone else's like pain or or their suffering or their their complaint or or whatever their critique. Um, and it's much easier to write that off too mm-hmm. and just ignore it. 
Because sure. you're like, oh, they're just grumbling and complaining. Like, it's like, this is your kid that's complaining because it's just so hot outside. <laughs> you're like, you don't even know. You're sitting in the air conditioning. Yeah. You know. You can't even spell hot, kid. Yeah. <laughs> in my day, we walked uphill both ways and it was hot for all three of them. <laughs> And it's hard. It's hard to empathize with someone that's complaining, grumbling. I think you're a real pro if you can. Like, uh, just because someone's complaining oh, sure. or grumbling doesn't mean you should ignore them. No, no, no. You should. Sure. Um, but it's harder for sure. Um, but if you are a worshiper of the living God, complaining and grumbling is an antithesis to worship. Yeah. And there's even worship where it's, you know, uh, it is like a, a lament or a, a crying out in pain. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. It's yep. not. Um, but that's definitely different. It's different. That it's different than definitely different than grumbling and complaining. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. An honest conversation. We're not saying that complaining and grumbling is equal. An honest conversation is not An honest conversation can talk about real things in in in, in a positive way, yeah, or yeah. in a redemptive way. And so, just because an honest conversation is, is talking about something that is negative in its mm-hmm. impact, does not mean it's complaining and grim. They're not; mm-hmm. those aren't equal. Yep, yep. I think it's the difference between being a victim versus acknowledging our victor. Like God is in control, and He can use whatever story we happen to be part of at the time. Mm. But if we sit and complain and we don't try to do our part, then we end up being just a victim and we're just stuck instead of trying to give room for that to grow and be used in our life and other people's lives. Yeah. So let's talk a little, uh, let's talk a little fear and trembling. Let's have, I I mentioned in the sermon that we'd probably talk about this because it's it's a conversation that's better to be had with other people as opposed to just, you know, my thoughts on it. But I started off by uh, saying this is definitely not the angry God with a a magnifying glass and we're all just a bunch of little burning ants, you know, Mm -hmm. that need to be afraid of some vengeful, wrathful deity that doesn't care about us or, or just enjoys, you know, beating up on the poor little poor little guys down on the on the ground right this is not it's not that kind of fear and trembling yeah um which it's so it's so very very common for us to take that view especially of god when we read old testament stuff yeah um i i I think uh we were doing the the story of joshua and and the entire book of joshua God seems kind of brutal <laughs> in that book. Yeah. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of that and it's very easy to take that and say, "Oh yeah, just angry, wrathful, vengeful God," you know. Um these guys are breaking whatever his laws are and he's going to come down Sodom and Gomorrah. He's going to smite an entire city. Um and so especially looking on Old Testament stuff, it's it's easy for us and through church history, this has been, you know, the fire and brimstone sort of approach that, uh, you know, the God of the Old Testament. And, and suddenly in, we switch to the New Testament and suddenly he's a completely different God and he's all about love, right? And, and the, God of, the God of Jesus doesn't seem like the same God from the Old Testament, but that's not true. Yeah, That's not even remotely true. Um, I think it, I think they call it dispensationalism. Uh, that God know. deals with humanity in in various ways depending on which time He's in. Mm. Uh, I think it's dispensationalism, but uh, that's just that's just not the case. Yeah. And they that even and and we need to when you when you say like no we know God is going to be consistent, like God is who He is. Yeah. And so if Jesus is giving us this picture of God and and somehow he's the same as this quote unquote angry wrench angry vengeful deity of you know Sodom and Gomorrah or Joshua yeah right uh somehow 
those two have to mesh and be that you know they're they're the same coin Mm -hmm. um and you have to be able to look at them in the same way but so i've always looked at the book of joshua is um he he loved these people but he got to a point where they were um generation after generation after generation they were oppressing people mm-hmm. and they were taking advantage of people and so he was just like i can't allow this to continue because yes i love you but i also love these other people that you're oppressing mm-hmm. and so for me it was always like god is a god of grace and he will forgive until the you know hunter's generation or whatever but he also wants to make sure that he doesn't allow this perpetual oppression to continue Mm-hmm. And so at some point, in order for him to be a loving God, he also has to be eventual God. I said that in quotations. Yeah, because there's a point where God tells Abraham that his people are going to have that land, mm-hmm. um, and, and that God's going to, and God says he's going to punish the people in that land for the things they've done, but their sin isn't great enough yet. Yep. And like, that is such a hard concept yeah. of like, especially knowing the people in that area, they were, they... They practiced uh, um, infant sacrifice. We found yeah. tons of evidence of it. And that's a hard, like, the forgiveness of God is like, or his patience, how slow he is to anger. That's Long a hard suffering. one. I'm a lot, like, especially compared to that. Yeah. <laughs> a lot quicker to anger. Yeah. Um, yeah. And with, like, the Zedekah, the cry of the oppressed, like, that always comes before God punishes yeah. a group. And, and that's such a stark, like, difference to the complaining and grumbling Mm, mm -hmm. um because like there's a point where there's uh i think there's probably a couple points but there's a a point where like elijah tries to call down god's wrath with complaining and grumbling (laughs) (laughs) and god's like i'm not gonna do it (laughs) Um, nope there are still people who there's like uh i forgot the number but there's still a few thousand that haven't turned their hearts away from me yeah Yeah. Um, well and like God did the plagues in Egypt. He parted the Red Sea. Like, this is getting out there. People are hearing this story. And so when they came to the Jordan River and it parted, there's actually towns that came and made, um, what is it called? Alliances with Israel? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Alliances. So they came and made alliances because they're like, okay, we see that you are actually serving somebody like we're terrified care. of... And they changed. Yeah. And they became, I mean, not part of Israel, but part of a working community, the Shephela. Yeah, And an um, important part of the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But sure. the ones that didn't, they hardened their hearts. And like Joshua marched around the wall of Jericho for seven days. I mean, there was a chance for them. Like they could have been like, okay, we don't understand what you're doing here, but... Yeah. Well, like, and they yeah. had just, Jericho had just seen them go across the Jordan. Mm-hmm. And, and there's Rahab who yeah. joined. Yeah, Rahab. And Rahab saw this and was like, oh. And so she became part of the lineage of Jesus, mm-hmm. a prostitute yeah, they, from Jericho. They, had a, they did have a chance to turn. Yeah. Um, but that's that's just a different, like, it's, this is even, so even if you are going to say that fear and trembling, like, okay, yeah, God can smite an entire mm-hmm. city, right? Fear and trembling, like, oh, the fear of God, right? Well, but understand that it's not, like, this is not just an, this is not your normal angry deity. Yeah. Um, that is so common in every other, you think about the Greek or the Roman gods or mm-hmm. Egyptian gods, Babylonian gods, all of these gods, like, humans are at best an inconvenience. <laughs> yeah. They're like, or a toy, like to be just messed with. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's not the, that's not the story that we see in the Bible. That's not the story of who God actually is. Mm-hmm. So I believe this is, there's a connection here to uh, Deuteronomy 20. And Israel is in the wilderness. They're at Mount Sinai and they are being told what the oracles of God are, what the teachings mm-hmm. of God are. And it says, starting in verse 18, all the people perceived a thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. Picture that. Okay. Perceived a thunder, lightning flashes, sound of trumpet, and mountain smoking. 
And when the people saw it, they trembled and stood at a distance, which I would too. Then they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but let not God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid for God has come in order to test you and in order that the fear of him may remain with you so that you may not sin. Mm -hmm. So Paul is saying here in Philippians, just as you've always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more of my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, remember how big and awesome your God is. Mm-hmm. Um, but Israel didn't want to have this conversation with God. The people of Israel, they wanted to have the conversation through a mediator. Sure. Which I think is really... God allowed that to show that this doesn't work. Jesus said, it is to your benefit that I go, because if I don't go, the helper will not come to you. Mm-hmm. And so Paul says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Like, remember how big and awesome your God is. But he goes on to say, for it is God who's at work in you, both the will and the work for his good pleasure. So on the one hand, there's this sense that God is big and awesome, and and if he flexes, like, whoa, <laughs> watch out. But he's at work in you through his spirit to both will and to work for his good pleasure. Like, God, this is a loving relationship. Mm-hmm. Can it be fearful? Yeah, I mean, when Jacob was two, three years old, you know, and, and he was heading towards the street, I'm pretty sure I was fearful. <laughs> he was fearful He was probably of me. fearful. Yeah. You know, I mean, he was going to harm himself if I didn't respond quickly and decisively, sure. you know. But once he was in my arms and he realized that I was going after him to protect him, the, you know, mm-hmm. his response to me changed. Yep. And so that's, I think that's what Paul is calling upon here, like, yes, big and scary if you're not in the right relationship with him, but he's he's working in you for his good pleasure. Like, he, he delights in you. He... He's calling you to a relationship with himself and and don't don't get this sense that I'm gonna let someone else talk to God and I'll talk to them. Mm-hmm. No, there's this personal relationship that God is inviting us into mm-hmm. and don't be afraid of that. Yep. Speaking of dads. Yeah. Let's talk about relationship with God versus relationship with earthly father and how that can affect things, how we see that played mm-hmm. out. Okay. Um, well, I think, like, I, I remember hearing someone talk about how your earthly father is your first example of, like, what God our father is like. And so if you are raised with a father who is oppressive and like volatile and violent, then you start having this image of God as that same aspect. But if you have a father who's um, airs more on the side of like loving, not discipline, um, then you have this vision of God being uh, loving and it will accept everything you do and you can do whatever you want. And so there's this balance that, earthly fathers need to walk of being loving, but also being like correcting and disciplining. And, um, like I, my dad and I would go at it sometimes. Like he would raise his voice to Matt, like to speak sternly to me and I'd Hmm. raise to match. And then pretty soon we're like full out yelling at each other. Um, but like I had a respect for my father. Um, I knew my mom was a line. If I ever pushed my mom, then I knew my dad was going to come down hard on me. But I knew I could push him and we could have this yelling fight. Um, <laughs> we both have very uh, hot, 
quick tempers. So, um, anyway, so, but I knew I could push him on that, but he still loved me. And like, he never, um, I mean, I would definitely get grounded and sent to timeout and stuff when I was younger, but I also knew my dad loved me. And so for me, like growing up, I've always had this image of God being like loving, but also willing to fight and willing to like, and he could take my emotions. Like if I was pissed or angry, like he could take that. It wasn't something that he would quote unquote crumble under. Right. So. Willing to wrestle. Yeah. Willing to wrestle. I like that. Yeah. I think to whatever, like every dad that's ever been on this earth, they have positive and uh, not so positive attributes. Mm-hmm. Like there, there's things that they are, are really great at. There's other things they're not so great at. And in varying degrees, I'm some, some dads just never show up from day one. They are, they check out. Yeah. And so, um, I've, I've counseled people. I've talked with people that have felt like they've, they've, They've taken that earthly father characteristic and applied it to God and mm-hmm. and and subconsciously, like they didn't think about it, they just subconsciously said, Yep, God God's checked out on me. Mm-hmm. Um, no one had to tell them to think that. They just that's what they concluded. Yeah. And so I do believe that we are to some degree a picture, a representation of who God at least who God can be um, when we are at our best and we distort that picture when we're at our worst. Yeah. And I know for my kids, including Jacob, (laughs) my bohor, um, I I have left both positive and negative images in their mind of, of who God or, or just how they picture God is, has been, somewhat influenced by my own interaction with them. Is that fair to say, Jacob? Yeah, yeah, I'd say that. Um, what are some ways you have wrestled with God? Not to put you on the spot or anything. <laughs> or not to put Dad on the spot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah throw, seats, throw me under the bus, son. What are some things? Oh, uh, man, time no, to clean out the closet. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I've said before that I think, uh, like, the first step in becoming an adult is working through the negative things your parents taught you. Like, mm. not that they meant to teach you, like, these bad things, but, but they're there. Um, mm-hmm. yeah, there's unintended messages. Sometimes we don't intend to say something, Yeah, but, oh, sure. but through our actions, there's an unintended message. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I've had to repent of things I didn't say or, like, or I had no idea. That's what I passed down. Yeah. Sure. Growing so what are up. some things, so what are some, <laughs> what are some things that you, that you Story have pictured time. about God that you, that you later just said, Oh wait, that was actually my dad, not my not God. <laughs> growing up, and I'm not going to go into detail, but growing up, <laughs> dad and I didn't have, uh, especially early on, we didn't have a, a very good relationship. Um, it sucked. It sucked. We we had a really hard time understanding each other, um, and like, I, I and that definitely played into like like I went to church. Um, and like, I kind of paid attention. I like I I I've always loved learning, so I've always enjoyed learning the stories and and learning the ways of thinking about stuff. But I had a hard time, um, and I still have had a hard time developing a relationship with God in similar ways I've had. Um, and and it's been a lot better in recent years for sure. In the past, like three weeks, <laughs> no, three <laughs> weeks, uh, years. I've only been here two days, like three days. <laughs> now it's been great. The past, uh, ooh, maybe eight, maybe nine, somewhere around there, years. Um, um, and like my dad, uh, dad has worked really hard, um, to grow as a dad since when I was a kid. I'm the I'm the firstborn, so there's all sorts of. You get to be the guinea pig. Parents have no idea what they're doing for the first child, so we really get the short end of the stick, Jacob. It's 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 just the way it goes. Because I'm not for for sure. I'm not trying to throw my dad under the bus. (laughs) Because for one, I respect you a ton and I love you a ton. Um, And you're living with him still. So and And you're buying me lunch. So there's that. And uh, (laughs) 
I might have seen you groan, but no, I've had a hard time um, developing a relationship with God in a similar way. I had a hard time developing a relationship with you early on. Um, And, and and I can see that, like, like I learned a lot from you. Um, I learned a lot about working, you know, working hard and like, uh, how do we treat stuff? And like, I've learned a lot from you, but it was, there was a good portion of my life where there was no relationship. Right. Um, yeah. And I'd say it's very similar. I've learned a lot from God and I've learned a lot from the Bible. Um, and I've pursued that a ton, but, um, the relationship side, I've always had a harder time with. Sure. Um, sure. Uh, for sure. Um, it, there's things I can, you might have, I had a fantastic father. I mean, he's since gone to the Lord, but there are things that, I that he he would do that. I would uh, transpose onto God, and and the way my dad interacted with me, I assumed that was God interacting with me, and or or that God would interact with me in similar ways, and I've had to work through that. My dad could be capricious sometimes. He would one day, you know, say something very positive about me moving into ministry and the next day I Rob I don't think you'll ever again be a pastor and and it, it would he would go back and forth on that particular issue a number mm-hmm. of times and and I'm talking to my friends going am I am I crazy is is this god going is god waffling on me <laughs> um you know mm-hmm. what what does this mean and and um and so you know I had to work through that you know, and, and it impacted my relationship with God. And there's other things that, you know, things that you think. I don't think it's just our father, by the way. I really believe that both our parents yeah, I was together. Say moms aren't off the hook either. Yeah, <laughs> our our parents together, when they're at their best, they show us a very well-rounded picture of who God is. Yeah. When they're at their worst, they distort that picture in some way, shape, or form. And sometimes, you know, sometimes the mom can distort that. Sometimes the dad can distort that. Sometimes the way they interact together distorts it because, you know, Jesus, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, they're they're unified. And when parents aren't unified, that distorts the picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it's, but, but Father sometimes, in some ways, seems... More significant? I don't think it actually is. I think I, I think it's logical to come to that conclusion because we refer to God as a father so often. So as you're introduced into as you're introduced into the faith, um, and you're you're going through the Bible, God is mentioned as He's depicted as a father so mm-hmm. often that well, oh, okay. So if I grow up and I have this image of what a father is whatever whatever my background is where whatever that image of a father is well i'm now going to put that because that's what i've associated with the term father i'm going to put that onto god because he's being referred to as father right uh, that's perfectly logical that you'd end up there and god is also depicted as a mother mm-hmm. throughout the scriptures so there's that um I think it was harder with their with like the patriarchal society that that was at the time yeah. to speak with the mother, especially when it's an authority mm. figure like that. Um, Cause the way they viewed parents was so different where it was like dad's in charge and mom's not technically in charge at all. <laughs> now that there still wasn't respect or like uh, the and importance of the mother role, but it was so different. The in moderate advertising has learned to flip that. Like, <laughs> The father is usually depicted as as the idiot, and the mother <laughs> is the wise one. And that might be true. I don't know, but <laughs> that's all right. The woman is smarter. Little Harry Belafonte there. <laughs> no, it, it does talk about God being like comforting or being as gentle as a mother, and um, for sure, there's a lot more. Yeah, but there, but there is more. It's more often that he's referred to as a father. Yeah. So it's it's logical connection to me to be made. Definitely a good thing to be thinking about um and to to chew on. Well, 
And if someone's going to bail from the relationship, unfortunately, nine times out of ten, it is the father mm-hmm. that bails. So that is a reality. Um, and males have typically uh, carried the brunt as far as the workload goes, as far as working outside the home. And mm-hmm. so um, if if you can feel disconnected from a parent, uh, many times it's going to be with the father um, through the being absent through their work. Statistically, or, that's just the way it's going to be. Right. That's yeah. that's a higher percentage. Uh, I felt more connection with my dad than my mom. Mm. My brother felt more connection with my mom than my dad. Mm. And uh, and so... Did that had, shift? Was it always like that, or did that shift at some point? No, that was that was a dynamic through my growing up period. Huh. And um, even... Like, my mom and I grew closer eventually. I think uh, my relationship with my mom really kind of echoed into my relationship with Jacob in particular. Mm. And I think for even similar reasons. Mm. But uh, so, um, yeah, I I feel like a lot of my mistakes with Jacob were because of my relationship with my mom, more so than my dad. Mm. I'd be curious to see. An interesting poll question would be, for if you're listening of how how your dynamic with your your father biological earthly father um plays into your concept of what the fear and trembling mm-hmm. what that looks like for you mm-hmm. and what you what your immediate response is for that that would be that would be interesting to me It'd be, be a fascinating study yeah that somebody with more time could go do <laughs> yeah <laughs> speaking of time it is about time for us to be done rambling. Yeah. So thanks for joining us on another episode of Footnotes. Hopefully this was uh, worthwhile and good time for you. And it definitely was for us. Yeah. So we'll see you next week. Have a great week. We're camping this weekend. Excited yeah. to do that with you, Mission Ridge. Yeah. Yeah. If you're uh, in the area, don't show up at the Hilton. Uh, come to the campground. Hit us up on Facebook and we'll get you all the deets. Yep. Peace. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Footnotes on the Mission Ridge podcast. For more information about Mission Ridge, please visit our website at missionridge.church. Thanks for tuning in. We hope the rest of your week is straight up hashtag blessed and that you'll join us again next week for more Footnotes.